Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of our podcast series, My Grandparents, My Parents and I. My name is Sarah Myers. In this episode, we'll hear from China Brene Edwards, Mr. Kieran James and Mr. Darren Rose, who talk about their grandparents and parents' experience of the Windrush. I'm Kieran James, I'm 25 and from South London. My mum's side, my nan came to this country in 1959 and my granddad came 57, 57. And on my dad's side, both my grandparents came in 63. On my mum's side, my nan was 18 and my granddad was 21. And on my dad's side, my grandma was 17 and my granddad was 21. I thought they came by boat. Well, they actually came from the plane. I think they stopped off in um, Switzerland and then came to London. From what I heard, it was like they would have it in the newspapers. They'd come into England to help um, rebuild after the war effort. Uh, but obviously, that was the 40s. So in the 50s, it was more just coming here. All people that were already in England from Jamaica were saying about it and said, oh, okay, there's more opportunities here. Let's go. But when they came to this country, well, for my nan, I think it was a bit different because she came with my granddad but my granddad <laughs> went somewhere else so she, my man was by herself for quite a while um in england i think she was a a, seam, a seamstress on my dad's side my grandma came with my granddad so they were still together and uh, my granddad was doing carpentry at a house and um he met my grandma at that house he was doing carpentry at i guess there's a love story in there hi i'm darren i'm 28 and I'm born in Birmingham. Um, it's more, it's my parents. My parents were a lot older and they came in during the sixties, like mid to late sixties. Yeah. They came by plane. They came by plane and they had that whole culture shock experience that a lot of other Jamaican people had when they first came to the UK, you know, the, the, the weather change and things like that. And, you know, just being shocked to the whole thing and having to use paraffin heaters and color gas heaters it was it was that got a lot of good stories about that yeah my dad pretty much had an idea of what he wanted to do when he got here so he came here to wanting to do electrics and he wanted to get himself a trade so when he first came here he lived with his cousin you know he lived with his cousin and he met my mom through his cousin they were friends because my mom was slightly younger and his cousin was slightly younger as well, and they were all friends, and then they linked up, and then they kind of started from that, yeah. They had some, with regards to why they chose to come to Birmingham, they had some concerns about the, because it was during the 60s, so they had some concerns about the racial tension and things like that. And they were aware of the Caribbean presence within Birmingham and the community. So for their own safety, they did choose to kind of come Birmingham to... You know, just feel at home. And he was very multicultural as well. Birmingham was, he's always has been, he's always been known for, you know, different representation from different cultures. I'm China. I'm 20 and I was born in Birmingham. My granddad uh, came in the 1950s and he came on the, on the boat. And my nan was still in Jamaica at this point and they hadn't met yet. All she kind of knew was his name. And it's quite funny because um, Grandad had already kind of settled in England at that point um, in the in the nineteen fifties, 
And around 10 years later, my nan came. So 1960s. And she came by plane because she thought, you know, she just wanted the boat, hot boat thing. I think it was like six months, uh, six months journey on the boat. Ages, I'm pretty sure my nan was in her 20s and my granddad was in his 40s. Not 100% sure though. So there's two options really, I think. Again, my granddaddy could have chose London or Birmingham. Um, I don't know why he chose Birmingham, not to say it's a bad decision. Love Birmingham. I don't think there was any particular reason why he chose Birmingham out of the both. But I just know those were the two destinations that he could have, that he was interested in. But yeah, so they met in England. They were supposed to meet in Birmingham. However, Nan ended up in London off the plane. So she got off the plane and she was thinking, oh my God, what's going on? Like, she couldn't believe it, to be honest. She couldn't believe how cold it was. She didn't have a coat or anything. She came off the plane. She was like, you know, freezing. <laughs> um, and she was very anxious as well because she was like, where, you know, I'm supposed to be in Birmingham and this is London. She ended up kind of hopping in a car with some other people and drove down to Birmingham that way. I think in terms of her journey, maybe it was, it was very, you know, nerve wracking, but also she, um, she was just shocked about the weather. Mum was from St. Elizabeth. Um, my dad was from a parish called St. Anne's. I was just saying we could be related though, because my dad's side's from St. Elizabeth. So my mum's side's from um, Montego Bay, who's like the more touristy part now. We yeah. got a toll. <laughs> my nan's from Spanish town and her family had a lot of land there. And so my nan loves plants. She loves, she loves growing food. She likes agriculture and she she'd speak to me a lot about um the sugar cane um the different fruits that she could just grow and pick from because obviously now it's you know shops and stuff and she'd have everything in her own like area she's I think she's the middle child so she, but she was quite bossy as well um but she also Oh, yeah, she told me this and I had no idea. She used to ride a motorbike. How long was that? What? A motorbike? My parents, um, this is why it was easy for me to connect with regards to the play, to connect to the character of Winston, because he had a very similar childhood to my dad, talking about the fishing and playing cricket. My dad was an avid cricket fan and he used to do a lot of that back home, just playing cricket, going fishing then going to the dance in the night and, you know, yeah. They, they, Jamaica was a very raw, very raw living experience, but it was a high quality of life in the aspect of there's a lot to do there if you've got an imagination. You know, you can go swimming and climb trees and pick fruit off the trees and that kind of stuff, yeah. I think there was positives and negatives. I think the positives were like just being around familiar surroundings with your family and being in the sun and stuff and stuff that you just, you would be accustomed to. Um, but then the negative, I think what I was mentioning before, was just about opportunities. So yeah, just a bit of both. Um, but I think the negative started to outweigh the positives towards the end. And it was just like, okay, the sun's nice, but the sun's not really nice if I have no money, you know? So yeah. Did you make something of your life? I think a lot of, Jamaicans at that time having either they either fought in the, the war in the 40s or a bit afterwards they were like hearing stuff in the news reading newspapers and 
understanding, oh, bro, there's a country across the pond that really needs us. I can actually make something of myself there. And who knows, maybe one day I could go back with all this money that I've saved, all this money that I've made and, you know, come back to where I'm from. Or I'll just stay here and plant myself here and make, um, make a proper future for myself. Yeah, so for my granddad, I think opportunity. He was very ambitious. Again, even though I didn't have the personal chance to meet him, what what I've been told from my nan and from my mum, and he was very, very ambitious. So, what did Britain look like to him? Opportunity to get a family. That was definitely one of his big ambitions to have a family and to provide for that family. Again, he came, you know, in the 1950s. So, you know, unfortunately, he did receive a lot of discrimination. Um, racism, etc. Um, because he was, you know, he was one of the first uh, uh, of that generation to to arrive. Yeah, and I think to my, to my nan the same. My nan was always a huge supporter of granddad with his business, etc. And she's very family orientated. So yeah, business, family, love. I think it's more to progress career wise. I think there wasn't as many opportunities to have profession in mm-hmm. Jamaica um my, I think my granddad wanted to be a school teacher um but his family came from like a family of fishermen and I don't think he wanted to be a fisherman uh so the idea of being a school teacher and coming to England and to be a part of that appealed to him a lot more than staying back in Jamaica and doing something he didn't really want to do when they first came looking for labor they were told about the streets paved with gold and things like that that's what the UK looks like but um, my parents came over after the Windrush, so they had more of a clearer idea of what it was. Like, okay, the streets aren't paved with gold, but there is opportunity here in terms of making a better life than the one they was living financially. So, yeah, I think once they got over the idea of, okay, it might not be what everyone thought it was going to be, it's still better in terms of gaining an opportunity to for self-improvement. Yeah. What they told me is just cold and miserable. What they said, if you come, I think my grand on my mum's side, they came during the winter, so it was probably what about two degrees, three degrees, and you're coming in from like a country where it's like 35, 28 around there, normal, and then you come here and it's like you need layers for everything, and and then that's not even to mention the people, and then people looking at you, looking at them differently and navigating that. Um, because I think a lot of Jamaicans before they came, they saw England as a mother country, part of, you know, the, the empire and they thought they were doing their bit to help. So when they came here and they realized, oh, the, the public, the actual British public don't actually want them there. They were like, what? We were told back home that we were needed. We're coming here to help. And it, so I think that must have been a massive culture shock for them to realize they actually weren't wanted. And if anything, people were trying to get them to go back. I remember talking to my granddad about this talking about like, where they were staying and how the conditions were like the room is like a a one bedroom apartment so you had your bed there and you had the the kitchen a couple of feet away and then you, there was no toilet so if you're lucky you'd have the toilet outside in the garden and if not you have to like pee in a pot and then chuck it out and then be like what about seven or eight of them in one room and then some people be doing night shifts and they would come back and then they'll stay in the bed and then they would go out and do the day shift and come back so yeah, it was a lot. Very, he didn't complain that much. 
and when it talks about it now is a lot more of it was it is what it is if you don't know any different you don't really know what to measure it by there's actually one thing but i don't know whether i'm allowed to say um she said she didn't she couldn't understand <laughs> no she said so okay obviously the weather right but she said she she said that she noticed that the hygiene wasn't as good as in Jamaica. That's one thing that she noticed. She noticed that people weren't like covering their mouths or like when they were coughing and stuff, they weren't um, washing their hands. She just really couldn't believe it, as well as the food. Um, she said it was it was just pretty much just mash and and fish and and chips. She just couldn't understand. She, yeah, she she said the people them are were dirty. That's what that's basically what she said. She was just shocked. Um, obviously, the weather as well. She'd never seen snow before. She was like, she. I think when she actually landed, it was snowing, and she was like, "What? You know, what's this? Uh, what's this white stuff?" Yeah, it's been mentioned, but it just can't be understated. Like you speak to any older Jamaican person, Caribbean person, the weather is a big, big thing for them. Mm. Like my dad would always say it did cool when we first come here it was cool we have to use the paraffin and the calagacita and then when we was all living together and i used to always talk about like that it's cold today man can we put the central heating on central heating away i talk about go put on clothes it's just like it was a big big thing for them the switch of the climate and the the weather but yeah man it, i think that's the the main thing is the the weather for them I think, like, I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe quite similar for you guys as well. But a lot of Jamaicans that came here, they took the jobs that the people that live in England didn't actually want to have. So the bus drivers, the tubes, the bus and the, the bin men, stuff like that. <laughs> so my granddad was a bus driver for for a while. I think maybe just under two decades, and um, the wages weren't really that high, but it was something. You know, and I think my granddad had a very young family. I think he had five kids by twenty-five, mm-hmm. so it was more like I have to, I have to work. I mean, I have to work a bit after this shift's done and make you a double shift because my grandma couldn't work because she had diabetes, quite bad diabetes. So it must have been even more on a burden of on him to provide on the wages that weren't really that much. I can't remember the wage. I remember something being said about five shillings a week or something like that. Crazy. The wages were very low, man. And my dad was very ambitious, so that must have been a punch in the gut for him. So, But he always found a way. That's one thing. And my mum as well, like, they're both grafters. Like, they had one of them big alarm clock. You know, those clock radios, those old school digital ones. Like, if any Caribbean, you go into any Caribbean household and they got one of those digital alarm clocks, you know, these people are grafters and yeah, they both had that. But um, the wages, I can't remember too tough, but my dad did go on to make a good wage for himself further down the line when I came into the equation because <laughs> he um, he was qualified in electrics. You know, he used to do, they used to make the sock. He worked at a factory where they made the sockets and stuff. And I think, I can't remember, I think it was called Warsaw Conduit or something like that. Yeah, he worked there and... He went on to do all right, man, even though it was a bit tough at the start. And mum as well, you know, yeah. So my granddad and my nan, they bought a house in Ellington, um, on Slade Road. 
quite a big house. Um, and that in that house, that's where my granddad started the business, um, which well is called Must Grow, uh, which is a hair um, Afro hair care business, which is still running to this day. So yeah, so as I said, like he, he was, he was um, very, very ambitious individual, and he looked into kind of like the the, the market, and you know there was hardly any products for black people's hair, so he designed and came up with musk grow which is a hair pomade which is used to grow and moisturize uh, afro hair um and that in that house is where it all started they had a separate room which you which was used for um the the hair products and then that would be distributed to different black hair cosmetic stores i guess it means a lot to me because that's kind of and again with the business still running today um, when I tell people about it, you know, that's that's kind of where it all started in Erdington. It used to be in a yellow glass bottle with a red top. There was only like five products on the market back then for like Afro hair. So it was a big one, you know, if you ask anyone must grow, they will remember it. And it's it's lovely when we see people out, oh, yeah, I remember must, I remember using that. Because uh, it's like, it was like must grow, ultra sheen, blue magic. Yeah, ultra sheen, that. big one. Yeah. yeah. Dax, Dax, um, Dax. yeah, yeah. So this was another big thing. When my dad first went to trying to buy a house here, he couldn't get financing from the banks. Banks didn't like dealing with black people, so they formulated a system called a partner. So it's an initiative where a group of people get together and you pay money every week. So let's say they start the partner, and you bring ten people into this partner and you all have to pay £10 per week. And every so often you get a hand. So that £10 per week over the span of a year would equate to something like £520, wouldn't it? And then everybody gets that £520 once every so often. And that's how they used to save money to pay for property and things like that because they couldn't get mortgages. Yeah, that was it's very big in the Caribbean. You ask any Caribbean person about a partner, they'll be able to tell you what it is of a certain era. I'm not sure if this is a thing in... Um... In Birmingham, but I know in London it was a thing. Like certain houses were segregated, but not lawfully. It's just like you knew where there were black areas, and that's where houses where the estate agents would take. If you could even get the estate agent, you would take um, the black couple or the black man or black woman to that house, and then they would think, "Oh, what? Well, why not show me to these houses?" And they were never just taken to them. And so sometimes they would take like. People just walking into like seeing them. Um, what is it? You see the things outside in the front door where it says to let or to buy. It's like, oh my god, this house is in different areas. Why are we always being pushed in the, in these specific ones? So yeah, it was quite a tough experience for. What stuck out most to me was my dad sending for his younger brother, like trying to get him to come over, and he declined every time. Never gave a specific reason for it. He just didn't want to come and I always found that interesting because it's a big thing amongst Jamaicans to go to foreign as they call it and make a life find opportunity go and do something but he just I think it was that thing of just like not being the fish out of water he just probably didn't want to engage in it and that's one story that my dad used to bring up and I thought mm, that's interesting well my dad's passed away now obviously we can't really talk about it like that at the time I would ask and I'd you know, just little questions, but 
I like the older Jamaicans, they can be quite vague sometimes and not really want to delve too deep. You know, it's big people business, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, only one of his siblings decided to come to England as well, his sister. And then she went on to have children and, you know, my cousins, obviously. And, you know, it was good. We built up a good relationship. and But they're older than I am. But they still could, like, mentor me and nurture me. And, yeah, it's good, man. The family connection was nice. And my dad's friends, they were all like in different trades. And it was good to see like he had a mechanic friend that lived around the corner because he was very, it's different to now. It was very communal. There was a mechanic that lived there, butcher that just across the road. And it was, it was crazy. Yeah. I guess because I, I remember asking my nan, she, the church for her was where it was like, that's where she met all of her friends. That's where she, you know, they go on day trips with, you know, you know, sister, um, with their sisters and, and they go on like day trips to like Liverpool and et cetera. And I think something that we can definitely learn is, well, not learn, maybe take, because I think everything obviously right now is on social media. Social media wasn't, you know, wasn't a thing obviously back then. So, so I guess just valuing in-person like relationships. And going out more. Yeah, do you know, like, like, obviously my nan wouldn't be able to make friends on Instagram or anything like that. She went to the church and she made her friends. They made plans. They went to Liverpool. It wasn't, you know, all online. So I think we can definitely just learn to be a little bit more present with each other and and, yeah. and definitely, yeah, like, you know, took the phone. Let's, let's, let's actually engage in person and... I think that's definitely something we can learn because that got her lifelong friends and true friends. One thing my parents did very different to how the younger generation build things is like in terms of their friends, their friends would just come and knock on the door. Hey, <laughs> it's like, oh, how are you doing? And they'll just come in and have a chat. If anybody comes to my house and just knocks the door, yeah. not answer, you have to message me or call me first. Yeah, it's like crazy. And that's one thing I've kind of admired and just thought, that's weird, man. But yeah, that's that's definitely how the, the difference is between, you know, how they deal with their friends and whatnot. Also. I remember one story. It's not about my granddad, about my dad, but I think it applies. I think he was meeting um a friend at a cinema in the, well, the early 80s. And then he went to the cinema and the cinema burned down that day. And... um. I was thinking, like, well, what happened? Like, well, how, do you, how did you meet your friend? How, like, how did you sort it out? He's like, well, I couldn't. I just went back home. I was like, oh, yeah, there's no phones back then. You can't you can't call. We can't do any of that stuff. So you literally just have to wait for your friend and maybe he'll show up. Maybe there's no, like, you can't. Like, you just say the day before, well, we're going to meet up at the cinema at this time. Now you just have to hope and trust that the person's going to be there. <laughs> for myself, there's two key moments when the story would come up. <laughs> when... They wanted to teach a lesson or when they're with friends and they're reminiscing about back home all the time. Yeah. They're the two main like points here. My, my dad's big ambition was to just have his own house here, own his own house. He managed to do it and to earn above a certain wage, you know, even though it took him a lot of overtime to do it, he was always an avid overtime doer and mum as well. Mum wanted to do the same thing. She wanted to come here, have a good job, have a nice house with a nice big kitchen, 
she extended the house. She had it extended after a certain point and she was over the moon with it. And that, you know, it was easy. They were, I wouldn't, for lack of a better term, they were easily fulfilled, but they got what they wanted and that was the most important thing. And being able to support family back home as well, because that's another big thing. They used to always send money back, like consistently. To I kind of adopted it myself as well. Like whenever I can, I could, I'd send some to my uncle and, you know, yeah. To answer, I kind of look at it as a picture. If you look at a picture, like from here, I would say yes, I did. They got what they wanted. But I think if you look closer at the picture and you get more detail, you see, oh, there was there were hurdles there. But to echo from what Darren was saying, yeah, they got jobs. They got well-paying jobs. They got better jobs, promotions. Even in some cases, they raised kids, five kids. They went on to do great things for themselves. Um, so yeah, I think they achieved what they set out to do, but it definitely wasn't easy, but they did it. I think, so just echoing that, if you really deep it, our grandparents, their grandparents or great grandparents were slaves. Mm -hmm. So these are from some tough people, like their grandparents were, their, their grandparents' parents probably were actual slaves, so it's definitely tough people we come from. I think it was... Like the saying in my family was just to do better than the ones that came before you. So if I was, for my granddad's case, my granddad was a bus driver for his children, it was to be something more office based and then extend it and extend it, extend it. Yeah. Um, make, make sure you don't go stabbing in. That's the same as falling back. It has to be better. I would say, I think their main thing was just being here. So like they've come from where they've come from and was a managed managed to achieve what they could achieve they would have just looked at me and thought well you're here you can do whatever you want to do if i've come from where i've come from i managed to do this the world's your oyster so they didn't really have this clear like distinction oh you're gonna do this you're gonna do that it was just like go and have a play go and explore kind of thing which is cool. what i love about the, my nan my mum, my family uh <laughs> is the fact that we, 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 we don't really force things on each other. Like, we're not going to say, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, that's it. It's as long as you're happy with what you're doing, then that's fine. And I think that is the kind of essence that they wanted to bring. It, I think it's just making sure that you're settled, you're happy, and that's it really. And, and it, again, it carries down. Like, my mom, she all she wants... She wants to make sure that I'm happy with what I'm doing and I'm very, I'm very kind of dedicated to the fact that I want, I want to be able to do something that I am happy with doing rather than doing something I hate uh, and potentially could be paid more, but not enjoying it. I would say the fondest memory is just getting to my parents' house on a Sunday and hearing the lovers rap playing and the smell of rice and peas and chicken when I walk in the house. Fondest memory, easily. Yeah. Probably probably when I was little, I had a bike with stabilizers on. I went inside and came back and I just saw Nan sitting on it backwards. Don't know what happened there. Um <laughs> Yeah, there's a picture of it. Um I was a bit confused, but yeah, I I I was scared of my nan, I'm not gonna lie. I was scared. Well, as a as a girl, I was because obviously Patwa, but also like Beatings, <laughs> like 
as I've got like older, me and her have gone closer and I'm not scared of her anymore, but obviously she's disciplined, you know what I mean, Jamaican. Um, yeah, so now we've got a lot of fun memories, a lot of shared jokes. Um, but yeah, my nan's a very fun person. She's very bubbly. Um, my nan is obsessed with, um, she watches those serial killer documentaries. She loves her crime. Uh, yeah, so... Oh, Jamaican, that, I would love that. That's all I'm going to say about that one. <laughs> I remember I went back to Jamaica, I was like 16, and um about downstairs to get some cookies, because you know, Jamaica's near America, so they had all the imported stuff, more sugary stuff from, um, from over there, so I had some cookies and some milk, and um, my nan came downstairs, so I was just talking, and then... I'm a massive um, Bob Marley fan. So he started talking about Bob Marley and his songs and what they meant. And then she started talking about one song he did called Redemption Song. And then I said, oh, no, that song, Grandpa. And I started singing it. And then we asked you to sing the whole song together. And that's always like a memory that sticks out for me, like after you singing the song. <laughs> Sometimes I'll go to my grandparents' house and I would just, we'd have dinner, they'd make me my favorite meal and have some curry goat. And have a full belly. And then I'd just be like to my granddad, sir, tell me about so and so. And then you go on this massive story about your life and how it was fishing with his, with my great granddad. Yeah, that's right, great granddad. And um, it's how life was in coming to England and this massive story. And um, I always wonder, and I even asked him, like, why would you never say this growing up? And he'd just be like, you never asked. <laughs> you never asked me. I was like, fair enough. He's right, I didn't. But I'm happy I have those answers in my head now. And I just want to thank you all for contributing to our podcast. Thank you for listening to our interview with Miss China, Benet Edwards, Kieran James and Darren Rose. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you want more information about the story of the Windrush, check out the show notes for useful links to websites. In the next episode, you'll hear a conversation that I had with Miss Verona Woods. We'll also talk about my granddad, who was one of the 1,002 passengers who came to England on board the now famous Empire Windrush and arrived at Tilbury on the 22nd of June, 1948.